Artsville, Artsville, the happening town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, from Asheville town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, feeling mountain high and inspiring North Carolina. That's where you'll find us, amazing artists and designers. Oh yeah, Artsville from Asheville. Greetings, our brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Artsville Podcast, where we celebrate American contemporary arts and crafts from Asheville and beyond. This is your host, Sourdough, and I am joined by my one and only favorite colleague, Louise Glickman. Hey, Louise. How you doing, Scott? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. It's great to see you. How are you today? I am doing just terrific. I got a chance to be in the studio this weekend and a little bit this afternoon, so I'm a happy camper. Oh, it's always good to be a creative and making art, and it's a treat when we get to do that, right? Well, when we're not making podcasts, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so so podcasting is an art form unto itself that may or may not be quite as <laughs> satisfying as painting or sculpting or crocheting or whatever the, the thing is. But I'll tell you what, today's podcast is exciting because we have a very special artist from Asheville, a woman of Ukrainian descent the one and only Andrea Kulish with us today. Well, I am so excited about this. Andrea is very, very talented. And actually, she used to handle social media for us because she, beyond her talents as an artist, she also handles the marketing for the River Arts District in Nashville. But today, we're going to look at Ukraine through her eyes and her eggs. These are Pisanki eggs. I may not have said that quite right. Well, I tell you, it sounded right to me because, you you know, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. But I, I would just call them Ukrainian eggs because I went to public school in America. So what do I know? But they are beautiful. They are gorgeous. It is a true art form that she is incredibly proficient and prolific at. And she sells them to raise money to help her people back in the Ukraine. Well, she has embraced her heritage in so many ways. You'll often see her in a Ukrainian beautifully embroidered top, for example. But this particular art form goes all the way back to pagan times, and it is very delicate. It's an egg shell of which she uses hot candle wax to create these incredibly beautiful colors and graphics, and they have meanings. So she speaks to us about not only the history and heritage, but also the meaning of giving an egg, whether it's at Easter or any time of the year as a gift. They're very, very special. In this case, Andrea has been working very hard raising money for hospitals to serve wounded soldiers and civilians in Ukraine through an organization, an American organization of women of Ukrainian heritage, and all the money raised goes to 
this organization and straight back to Ukraine. Well, that is a wonderful cause. And, you know, this interview was so great uh, speaking with her because she gets into the nuances of this art form. And you've already alluded to some of the symbology and some of the iconography of some of these symbols and elements. And there's such a legacy and a heritage here in terms of this art form and what's communicated. I do want to mention, too, that her Studio A in Asheville, you can Go online and you don't have to get an egg if you'd like to donate to help in Ukraine. And you can also go to our website at sandhillartist.com. So we encourage you to support not wholly Andrea, but also to support the needs in Ukraine, which are very great at this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Louise, what do you say we get into this and hear from Andrea herself? Because she can tell her story better than anyone. And we have her here today. So we'll get right into this and hear from the one and only Andrea Coolish. Thank you. Yes, definitely. All right, here we go. Andrea Coolish, welcome to Artsville. Thank you so much, Scott. Oh, it's so great to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Well, there's so many wonderful things to talk about, and I, you know, it's hard to know where to start. But let's start by setting the scene and helping our viewers know where you're at in the world, because your studio and your practice resides in two of the coolest areas in Asheville, right? You're in the River Arts District, right? Yeah. And your studio is in the Pink Dog. Pink Dog Creative Building. Yes. But yeah, so help our listeners understand a little bit about the River Arts District and Pink Dog. Okay, great. So imagine about a one-mile radius area next to a river, the French Broad River, and old industrial and factory warehouse buildings that are now artist studios. Imagine that there are about 20-plus buildings, each with some have many artists, some have only a few, a handful, and... Now we have restaurants and a greenway, breweries. So imagine a really fun place to go spend a whole day or a few days. And then my building, where my studio is, Pink Dog Creative, is the most colorful. And we do have some colorful buildings. This one is modeled after Merida, Mexico, where there are lots of buildings close to each other. And they are different colors, bright colors. So... Pink Dog Creative is pink, bright yellow, lime green, bright red. It is beautiful. And I also want to mention across the street from me in our parking lot are two shipping containers. And there is a mural that goes there every few years or every year it varies. It switches out and right now it looks like a huge Ukrainian flag. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. We'll get to that. I definitely want to better understand the artists that created that and that show of support. That is a beautiful thing. So, Andrea, I understand you've had a studio there at Pink Dog for a while. Is that correct? Yes. I have been here almost nine years. So you've really seen the growth of the River Arts District because it really has exploded. It's as a as I'm an outsider, right? I'm a tourist, so I'm just learning, as so many of our listeners are as well. But the River Arts District has has really exploded over the last decade, from what I understand. It really has. It started a little bit over 30 years ago as 
just a few artists working. They didn't even open to the public. It was cheap studio space. And then in 1995 was our first studio stroll. So that was the first time artists wanted to let the public know, hey, there's artists here. Hey, you can come buy things from us. And then in the last 10 and 15 years, the area has been really exploding in a good way. Just more and more people coming to see the artists and more artists coming in and more more things opening up here. Yeah. So in more things, including restaurants and bars and the kind of businesses that help to support that kind of tourism. Exactly. There are also e-bike rentals. There's a great theater down the road here and our Greenway. We also received a big, Asheville received a big grant where we didn't have sidewalks in some of these areas. There wasn't a good way to walk. Now it's all walkable. And the greenways on the river, you can bike, walk, stroll. It's really beautiful. That is fantastic. Andrea, I have a confession to make. I have had the opportunity to visit the River Arts District one time. And I was so sad that I only had a couple of hours because I just was like a tease, right? Because I was like, you need a whole day or a couple of days to really get around in the River Arts District to see all of the studios and all of the art because it is so densely packed with amazing artists and artist studios. You really do need more than a whole day, but at least a whole day minimum. It's good. Well, I only had two hours. I was like, what am I doing? This is like ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but I was glad to make it there uh, yes. and just get a taste, a taste of the bounty of, of creative genius that is, is coming out of there. And, you know, one of the many hats that you wear as a artist creative Andrea is also as, and we'll get into your art. I mean, that's like, that's coming. Don't, you know, people hang on. This is exciting, but I want to, you know, we're talking about the River Arts District, but you know, one of the hats you wear is, is, is the marketing director for the River Arts District, correct? Correct. Yes. So what is that like? I mean, that's a lot of responsibility. And how long have you had that role? I believe this is year number five that I've been doing it. And it's been a real learning experience. And it's a great community. I love doing it. I love being involved. It is a big job. The marketing job is probably the biggest one. This year, we split the social media aspect off to a different person that was under marketing. So now I'm managing the print and the web. And our wonderful Diane Myers is doing an amazing job with the social media. We're volunteers, so there's only so much time in the day. That's a very important point, right? Because the arts as we know them and love them, so much of, of that, of our world is driven by passionate volunteers who are giving of their time and energy and treasure to build up the arts in whatever community they might be. And in this case, you're volunteering to help build up the River Arts District. Yes. I have a deep love for the arts and the fellow artists. So it's been a real, real pleasure and an honor to be doing this. Do you remember how old you were when you said to yourself, I'm an artist? I don't, but my mother was an artist and an art teacher. So I think it was just a natural thing. She used to hang rolls of paper on the wall and I could draw on the wall whenever I wanted to. There were always watercolor paints and she taught me all kinds of different art. So I think it was just in my blood. 
It's baked in there. DNA. Like you come <laughs> yeah. by, yeah, the apple on the tree and whatnot. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Did you, was your mom, you said your mom was a teacher. Did she teach you in school? Did you, was she a teacher at your school? She was an art teacher. She teached in my school after I was there. She taught in some other schools before I was around. And then she had her own store. She had a shop. So I grew up in her shop and she would teach there. So I would sit in on her Ukrainian egg classes in the shop. But I, I think growing up in that store made me always want to have my own, my own store, which I have now. Well, that is amazing. And I want to I want to get into that. But you touch on something that's so important. You talked about your mom's focus on creating Ukrainian eggs. And of course, that is part and parcel to your heritage because your family hails from Ukraine, correct? Correct. Yes. My parents, my grandparents, all of my ancestors are originally from Ukraine. Mm. So when did they move to the U.S. And were, and were you born here or were you born in Ukraine? I was born here. My, my mother's side moved when she was just born to Canada and later to the U.S. And then my father's side, were, they were escaping the Soviets in World War II. And they ended up in Long Island, Wow, what a harrowing history. Um, and we'll we'll circle back because unfortunately history is repeating itself as we speak in many ways. But so the Ukrainian eggs, the tradition of making these incredibly beautiful, delicate, intricate objects. I, I mean, my gosh, I can barely scramble an egg, let alone uh, paint an egg. I'm sure I, <laughs> I, I'm all thumbs. I mean, help me understand if I were to want to embark upon learning how to create a Ukrainian egg, you know, where would I even start? Can you teach me over a podcast? We could do a Zoom lesson. Ooh. I've done this. I started it during the pandemic, of course, because before that, everything was in person. I'm back to in-person lessons, but I love that I can work with somebody on the other side of the country or wherever now. So what is step one? Selecting the egg. You want a good egg. You want a strong, smooth shell with no cracks, no bumps, preferably a local egg. Local chickens, people take good care of their chickens and the shells are so strong. They are hard to break. So that's what you want to start with. So hopefully a local, organic, free-range egg, none of this industrialized stuff. And so we're looking for (laughs) a shell that has virtually no imperfections, no bumps, no cracks, any of that. Okay. So that's step one. So let's imagine that we found the perfect egg. What is step two? Step two, which could actually be step one, but it's envisioning your design. You don't have to have your design totally planned out. You can just kind of go for it and freestyle. But if you want to make something with intention, Let's call it your other step one or whatever you want to call it. Think about what what you want to create. You can sketch it on paper. You can have it in your head. You can sketch it on the egg with a light pencil. But before the sketching on the pencil step, the next step would be to wash the egg and prepare it. Okay, great. Now, will the egg be drained at all or do we keep the egg as it were in the shell? So I have eggs from the 1980s that I grew up with that were in my house that have dried out. If the shell has no cracks, then no bacteria gets in and 
the egg dries out and it doesn't smell. The when the egg when an egg goes bad, it's because there's a little hole or a crack. Bacteria gets in and it gets stinky. So another reason to have a good egg. So I have multiple eggs that have just dried out and you can feel them. It feels like a rattle or it's like a wobble egg where the egg will actually stand up on its own because the inside has collected and it's sticking to the shell. However, because I sell the eggs and they're traveling all over the world, I do empty them. So there's pros and cons to emptying them before or after you create your design. So I do either or. It depends on a few different factors. But they say that there's magic in the inside. There's magic. Yeah, but there's still magic with the egg even without the inside. Okay. Okay. Got you. So, okay. So let's say I have envisioned my design and I want my design to be a repetitive pattern of polar bears walking all over the egg. So it's just multiple polar bears. So how then do I get my sketch, if it were, I'm guessing, what is the process for for getting the the initial outline on the egg of my polar bears. Okay, so one thing that's helpful is to figure out ahead of time also all colors that you would like to be on your egg so that you can plan your sequence. I have had students do polar bear eggs in the past. What? What? I'm not the first? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, drat. Okay, fine. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. Okay, fine. Oh. <laughs> but I think you're maybe only the second or third. So okay, you do okay. get hey. some points. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Top three, top <laughs> three. There we hundreds go. Hundreds <laughs> of students, yes. <laughs> Very good. So you plan out all the colors you want. Usually your darkest color will be the background. Not always. So there's something to consider because say your polar bear is floating on some ice or is in the snow, if he's in the ocean, maybe you'll have some blue. So blue would probably be your background color. That's something you want to think about. But then the polar bear, the eyes, the features, those would probably be black. So usually the black is the last color. In this case, we would do some kind of a workaround because there's only a tiny bit of black and then there's a blue as your background. So that's something to consider, but no problem. We could do it. And I think that might sound a little confusing. Well, no, no, but I'm getting it. So, but I'm curious, what kind of paints are we using? Okay. So we're actually using dyes and they're written. So we call them pisanke. Ukrainian eggs are written and not painted. Pisanke comes from the word pisate, which means to write. So we're going to write our design on the egg with melted beeswax. To get that polar bear design, you could take a pencil and lightly sketch your polar bear outline. And then you would take a special tool called a kistka. Now, if you're doing batik on cloth, this is similar to a jaunting tool, just smaller. So there's a metal funnel at the end of a handle and you hold it in a candle, you heat up the metal funnel, scoop in some beeswax, and then you're essentially writing with a wax pen. You're writing with melted beeswax. You would apply wax, imagine a little wax polar bear. Everything that you want to stay white on your egg, you would cover with wax while the egg is white. 
that's your first design step. So as we draw or because we're not painting, we're drawing as is if I'm tracking. And then yeah. so as we're adding the colors, that wax protects the white area so that when we are ready to say we're finished adding all the color, we peel the wax back and the white is pristine. The wax protects that white area. So the wax will stay until the very end. Okay. So say you want to draw a yellow sun. So you would check and make sure that you covered all the areas that you want to remain white. So you've checked, you've done all your polar bears, and you would take the egg and dip it in a jar of yellow dye. We have egg dye made for the eggs. They're aniline dyes. They're very bright. Years ago, people used natural dyes. People still use those, actually, of course. You could use either or. I love the vibrancy of these egg dyes that are made especially for the eggs. Woodworkers also use aniline dyes. So imagine your white egg with your wax bears. You dip the egg in yellow dye. So the dye will go everywhere on the egg except for it cannot go under the wax. So like you said, your polar bears are still white. So now you will take your egg out of the dye, pat it dry, and then you can draw with wax a sun onto the yellow shell. And that wax will preserve that area as yellow. And say you want to do your blue background. You could then dip the egg in blue, dry that off. It sits in there two, five minutes in the dye bath. Then you dry off your egg. And your final step is to melt the wax off. You hold the egg next to the candle. And this is a dazzling reveal. You get to see your work and all the colors under the black wax. It's a really magical part. It's a lot of people's favorite part of the process is just seeing what's under the wax. Because of course you've drawn it, but you don't know exactly what it's going to look like until you see it at the end. Incredible. So let's imagine that I have completed my egg. I've applied the colors apply the waxes. We're all done. I, I'm now remo- starting to having to remove the wax right from the various areas. How do I go about removing the wax? So you would hold the egg next to the candle near the side of the flame. You want to avoid the top so you don't get a scorch or a soot mark. So put it near the middle of the flame, just touching the side of the flame for a couple seconds. You see the wax melt, get shiny, and you wipe it off with a tissue and just do little by little. And then then you have your egg. This is the most nerve wracking part, though. I'm already nervous just thinking about <laughs> listening right now. Like after all that work, trying to melt that wax back off and not burn the egg. And, and oh, boy, my <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous already thinking about it. <laughs> it's not too bad if you're in a room with no draft, I say. Turn off your fan, shut the door, shut the window for just, it only takes a few minutes and you want to have a tall flame. Those things help. So you wouldn't have to feel too nervous. Andrea, you are a great teacher. I already feel like, I I feel like I could do this. I, I, you know, I'm much more confident now. (laughs) Thank you for for that, for that quick tutorial over the podcast here. But you've raised, (laughs) you've raised so many questions for me because I want to understand the tradition. I want to understand the, the legacy and the heritage of this, you know, shall we say art form? I mean, it's an art form, right? 
Yes, definitely. How did it begin? What's the origin story? It started thousands of years ago when people worshipped the sun and they believed eggs and birds were magical because the birds were the closest creature to get to fly near the sun. So pagan times, thousands of years ago, people would decorate the eggs with pagan symbols and they were all good wishes. These were springtime eggs. People would give them to each other as gifts. They could tell a story. There were some called spring sound eggs, and they had pictures of insects and all the creatures that make sounds in the, in the spring, the new, new life coming, and those eggs were made to call in spring. These evolved later into Easter eggs when Christianity came about. The symbols were adapted from pagan meanings to Christian meanings. Every wish is a good wish. There are wishes for happiness, a good harvest, love, joy, good health. The list goes on and on. Every color stands for something different. Again, all good things. For example, blue is a wish for good health derived from the life-giving air. And the egg itself represents rebirth and renewal. So yes, there's a lot of meaning and symbolism here. Well, and that really is the most important part, isn't it? The idea of a gift, the idea of good wishes, the idea that somebody put their energy into creating something for another person that is hugely important. I'm not, I don't mean to overlook that, but the symbolism that goes into this particular art form as many art forms, right? I mean, what are the symbols of a given work in a painting or an illustration or whatever the case might be? In this particular case, we're talking about the symbolism of Ukrainian eggs. I'm wondering if there are symbols that are I don't know what the word is I'm looking for that are traditional historical symbols that, you know, form a language that people who understand this art form immediately understand. You know, so if you understand the the Ukrainian egg practice uh, and art form, you must be aware of these 10, 20, 50, 100 symbols. You know, is there a yes. language here that people are learning? People who know the symbols can we can say read an egg or decode an egg or understand the story that the ah. egg is telling or understand the wishes that the person who made the egg was wishing for the recipient. So there is a whole practice of, say, decoding these eggs so that people can read them and interpret them. Egg artists who create these eggs, they understand the symbols and the colors and with each egg that I sell in my studio, I include a symbol guide, and that has some of the most common symbols and their meanings on it, as well as the colors, etc. How many symbols do you think there are? Are there, are there hundreds of symbols? Are there thousands I think hundreds. of symbols? Yeah. There's hundreds. There are three main divisions, and that is plant, animal, and then geometric. You see a lot of geometric designs, and of course, because this came from farming communities, there were a lot of plants and animals. Then within that, there are other divisions, which there's a lot, and I won't get into that right now. But there is a great, if you're interested, there's an amazing website. It's the most comprehensive one on Ukrainian eggs, pisankit.info, P-Y-S-A-N-K-Y.info. An amazing egg artist named Luba Petrusha runs this site has compiled this massive amount of information. And it goes into great detail about the symbols, their meanings, 
and all the divisions of all the different types of symbols. I go there when I can to try to learn some new symbols and learn their meanings because there is actually, there's so much. I don't know all of them. I would like to. Mm-hmm. Well, is there, and this this might be a question that really proves my naivete, but is there any connection whatsoever in terms of the history of the Ukrainian eggs with, say, the world of the the sort of luxury Fabergé eggs, for example. I mean, it, 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 was there, is there any connection there? My theory, because those eggs are metal, there's nothing to do with a real egg. My theory is that it seems like there is a lot of love in Eastern Europe for eggs in general. So you see all kinds. You see Easter trees. You see the metal and jeweled eggs. You see wooden painted eggs, and then of course the pisanke. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Easter. Talk about a little bit about is there a difference between say Easter here in the U.S. versus Orthodox Easter or Easter in Eastern Europe? What about Easter egg hunts? I mean, do those things happen in Ukraine? They might. I'm actually not sure. I think they probably have some. The difference between Easter here. And Ukraine. Easter is the biggest holiday in Ukraine. A lot of Ukrainians are very religious. It's a big deal. Easter is a bigger holiday than Christmas. It's bigger than any other holiday. There's a a lot of preparation to be made during Lent, the 40 days before Easter. People are writing eggs. They're cleaning the home. They're getting ready for the biggest holiday. So the day before Easter... Holy Saturday, people bring their eggs to the church in Easter baskets, and the priest blesses the eggs. And there are a range of different items, the Easter bread, eggs, meat that hasn't been eaten during Lent. There's meat there ready for the next day for Easter. And then people bring the eggs. The priest blesses the Easter basket. And then on Sunday, Easter Sunday, people then give the eggs to their friends and family members who they have they've made these eggs specifically for the people with different symbols in mind. Say someone wishes their friend to have their friend is hoping for a family, they can give them a pisanka egg with fertility symbols. Or they can draw wheat on the egg and that's for a good harvest. So that can be literal or figurative, for example. Yeah, that's absolutely lovely. How many eggs do you produce out of your practice in a given month? It really varies on how much graphic design and other work I have. So it can vary, sadly, sometimes uh, zero, which I don't ever like when I make zero eggs in a month. It's unacceptable. <laughs> it's, it is. It's really not great. On a really good month, maybe 40 to 50 Wow. Wow. How many hours in one egg on average? On average, the ones I sell are two to three hours, but it varies on the complexity of the design. And and a really simple, very simple egg could be one hour, but most of them I think are two to five hours. And then they can go much longer depending on how complex you wish to make the egg. And we're talking chicken eggs here. People, some people do ostrich eggs and goose eggs and emu eggs and the ostrich Eggs can take weeks, months. 
My son right now, my five-year-old son is very much into dinosaurs. Could we could we do a dino egg? Was that possible? Do they? If you find me one, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> he would be he would be over the moon. Well, you know, Andrea, you mentioned the fact that, of course, a big part of your responsibilities running your business is graphic design, creating graphics for your clients. I'm guessing. How many hours a week are you wearing the graphic designer hat? That's usually a few hours every day. And there's usually a few hours a week or more for the marketing job. And it also varies by week, but usually a few hours a day, five, five or more, often eight. But I also work long hours. So there's all those other, all those other things also. What kinds of graphic design do you do? do you, are you doing design for packaging, for branding, for marketing collateral, for web? What kinds of graphic design do you work on? Right now, I'm working on the studio guide for the River Arts District, and that's a 64-page booklet which lists all of our 260-plus artists and businesses. So it's a big job. It's a very complex job with a lot of parts. I am marketing chair, but that is something that the River Arts District hired me to do. So since it's such a big job, that's something I do get paid for. So that's very good. And other things I do, I'll do a lot of, I get to work with the artists a lot, which is really great. I'll work on different things that different artists need. And as a volunteer, I design the ads for the River Arts District. I do some email newsletters, like for my building here, Pink Dog Creative. I'm also the marketing director here, which is a part-time job, freelance job, and I keep their website updated. But my favorite thing is print. I get some good print jobs here and there. Well, I have another confession. When I was in the River Arts District, you know, a year ago, I picked up one of the guides there. And I'm guessing that you laid out and designed. And I mean, thank you, because that was such a wonderful resource for a tourist like me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, I designed the last two, so that's probably you picked up one of the ones I did. (laughs) Well, and it was packed with info. I mean, it's so dense from a graphic design page layout perspective. uh, That's quite a heavy lift. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Fantastic, fantastic. Well, Andre, we've talked quite a bit about your practice and your legacy and, and tradition of creating Ukrainian eggs. And, you know, this is for good reason, because, you know, your family is Ukrainian. They came to the U.S. after World War II or to escape World War II. And you were raised with so many of these incredibly beautiful cultural traditions. And now here we are at a time in history where Ukraine is being destroyed by a war criminal, Vladimir Putin. And so, A, I'm heartbroken, as I know you are, as so many are about what is happening there. And yet uh, we have to find hope. And we find hope oftentimes by creating hope, by raising awareness, by, you know, speaking truth to power, by fundraising, you know, and it's been really interesting to see how people are rallying around the Ukrainian people and the country of Ukraine. And you've already mentioned one really cool thing. You said that the storage containers outside 
uh, the building there, which, you know, for people who haven't been to the River Arts District, it's sort of these these uh, storage containers are kind of iconic. They're stacked on top of each other and they get painted like a wall might, right, in terms of the murals or, you know, and what's great about it is that they can be refreshed, yeah. right? So, yes. and are probably often refreshed, uh, you know, once or twice or three times throughout the year. I don't know. Yeah, it varies. Yeah. Yeah, I forget when I was there a year ago, I forget what the mural was, but it was super cool. I remember thinking, oh, yeah, that's that's clever. And now an artist has taken that wall and turned it into a sign of honor, tribute, hope and protest for Ukraine by painting those containers as the Ukrainian flag, as I understand. Who was the artist that did that? The artist is Randy Scholl. He owns this building, Pink Dog Creative, and he's the creative director here. The project is called Randy Scholl Honors Ukraine. And he did this very early on in the conflict, so a few weeks ago. And people come, they take selfies in front of it. It's a really beautiful tribute to Ukraine. It's like the biggest Ukrainian flag I've ever seen. Incredible. How many containers? I, I remember it's two, two stacked on. Yeah, it's two. This right. Is two. Okay. So yeah, it's yeah. perfect for the flag since the bottom one is completely yellow and then the blue on the top. It's it's the perfect setup for that. Very neat. Very neat. Well, that's that is one beautiful example of how artists are helping people find hope around this issue. Andrea, you also are doing some fundraising and some work to help create hope for the people of Ukraine. Please share with us what you're doing in terms of fundraising. Thank you so much, Scott. I helped organize an online concert and it was this Sunday. It was a mix of Ukrainian and American artists. It was people all around the world and it was a beautiful show. You can see it at the Musicians for the Greater Good YouTube channel. Musicians for the Greater Good. It's a concert for Ukraine. We've raised over $6,000 already, and we're urging people to watch this concert. We had speakers from Ukraine. We had Ukrainian musicians. There was a musician in Scotland. It was a really incredible and moving night. Another one of my projects is stickers, Stand With Ukraine stickers. They are the colors of the flag. I have one in a heart shape. There's a big bumper sticker. I've been selling these in my studio. And something you can do if you want to have your own fundraiser, you can contact me and I'll send you the sticker files and you can sell them and donate the money. Another thing I'm doing is selling the Ukrainian eggs. It's been so heartwarming how much support there has been. People are really taking an interest, more of an interest in Ukrainian culture. And my mission in life is to spread Ukrainian culture through the Pisanka eggs. So I've been collecting eggs because I cannot keep up with making all of them myself. I'm down to three chicken eggs of my own. I usually have dozens for sale. So I've been donating half of the sales of my eggs. And then my students and friends and also I have been making eggs specifically for donating 100% to Ukraine. Between the stickers and eggs so far, I've donated over $6,000 and I cannot keep up with the eggs. I reached out to my Facebook Ukrainian egg friends and Instagram and people 
are sending me eggs now. So you can come to my studio and buy an egg and 100% of the sale money goes to Ukraine. It's all by donation. It's been wonderful um, spreading Ukrainian culture and people are showing so much support. And this also warms my heart. I'm going to be receiving a couple hundred eggs this weekend from different people. And right now I cannot ship. It's only in studio. Well, that answers perhaps in part anyway, answers my next question, which is where can people find you online so that they can buy stickers or buy eggs or what have you? So it sounds like it's only in the store or the studio right now. You're not shipping elsewhere out of state. Right now I'm shipping, I am shipping the stickers and I am working on getting a shop set up, but you can, right now you can direct message me on Instagram or Facebook or my email. So my website is ashevillestudioa.com. Working on getting that going. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, I know it's a process, isn't it? I mean, with so many things going on, you know, to, to put all the pieces in place takes time, but you're well on your way. And that's, that's a $12,000 is a lot of money and it's going to go a long way in helping to provide what the Ukrainian people need. Where will this money go? Will it go for food? Will it go for bedding? Will it go for clothes? Will it go for munitions? I mean, what will the money be used for? It's all humanitarian aid. It's going to support four military hospitals in Ukraine, and they help both soldiers and civilians, adults and children. And it also goes to help displaced persons in Ukraine with whatever we can get to them. This fund also, uh, it helped relocate all the children from a particular orphanage to Poland successfully. I'm part of a 96-year-old organization the Ukrainian National Women's League of America. One of their projects, they started the Ukrainian Museum in New York City, in the village. That started about in the 70s, I believe. It's an amazing group of women, and they have contacts. They, we, we have contacts in Ukraine, and they know where the need is and how to get things over there. And 100% goes to Ukraine. I'm proud to be a member of this awesome group. So that raises an interesting point, Andrea. I, you know, there are folks out there, right, who want to help and they want to help as much as they can. And a lot of folks out there are happy to donate money and not receive anything in exchange for it. I mean, and it's wonderful, right, that you have these stickers and that you're doing an exchange or the eggs, people can buy them and the money goes. But some people just want to donate money and they say, you know what, love the stickers, but keep the stickers. I don't necessarily want or need the stickers. I just want to give money. So for those people that are out there that want to donate, put their credit card down, where would you recommend them going online to make donations so that that money goes straight to the source? It's the UNWLA Humanitarian Aid Fund. It's on our website, the organization's website. It's unwla.org, and there's a donate button at the top, and you can click on the humanitarian aid section, and there are two reports that you can read in detail where every dollar has been sent so far as well. So we've been raising money, doing a lot already, and are continuing to do so. So again, it's UNN as in national, WLA dot 
work. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that, because that's going to be so helpful for people listening. And, you know, one of the things that we've sort of glossed over, Andrea, is the fact that, you know, you there are in Asheville. You you have this amazing story, this incredible heritage, Ukrainian heritage, and you're there in Asheville. What is the Ukrainian community like there in Asheville? Are, are you one of a few or one of many? That's a great question, Scott. There's actually a lot of Ukrainians in Asheville. There's almost 2,000 Ukrainians in the county, in Buncombe County. Most of the Ukrainians here are what we call the fourth wave immigrants. And a lot of them have come over in the past 20 years. So it's a new wave. I know a few. I know a few of them. I'd love to know more of them. It's interesting because many of them were sponsored by Baptist and Episcopal churches, and they attend those churches. I did not grow up in that tradition. I grew up in Ukrainian Orthodox tradition. So when my family moved to this country, it was all the communities were based around the Ukrainian Orthodox churches. So that is why I don't know many of, of these new Ukrainians, unfortunately, but I've been happy to meet a few randomly here and there, and I'm hoping to make more, more Ukrainian-American friends. What you're describing is sort of very sensible, right? I mean, when people, my God, if, if I'm going to immigrate to another country, I'm probably going to find those people that share my religious beliefs and my traditions and what have you. And so certainly they're going to sort of congregate around their churches. And that makes total sense. I totally get that. But with the work you're doing and in everything going on, I know that this fourth wave of immigrants will eventually meet you and meet the other hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians there in Asheville and in, in the county. That's quite incredible. That's quite a, a very dense, because the, the it's not a densely populated county, and to have uh, over 2,000 Ukrainians in that county, that's significant. Yes, people who work in hospitals in Asheville tell me that Ukrainian is the first most requested language for translation in the hospitals. I've, multiple people have told me this. That's one example of this. That's so fascinating. Well, Andrea, I tell you what, we are so grateful to have you here at Artsville on the podcast, sharing your incredible story and your incredible artwork. And thank you for taking the time to come and share with us today. Before we sign off, I want to just take time again to make sure listeners know where to find you online and where to support the Ukrainian people. Thank you so much, Scott. For donations, we really appreciate them at unwa.org. Find the donate button. And you can find the concert at the Musicians for the Greater Good YouTube channel. There's also musiciansforthegreatergood.org. And then my most up-to-date eggs and all my projects and endeavors I put on my Instagram. I'd love for you to, to follow me there and send me your feedback. On Instagram, my name is AVL Studio A, all one word, AVL Studio A. It's A for Andrea for my first name. And you can read more about my workshops at AshevilleStudioA.com. Well, and Andrea, I want to mention that before we go, that we sort of totally glossed over, totally glossed over the fact that you produced a global concert live online. 
<laughs> recently. <laughs> like That is quite an endeavor. Thank you. I work with the group Musicians for the Greater Good. They're in, based in Boston. I used to live there. They're friends of mine. And they put on various shows for social justice issues, world peace, all kinds of good benefits a uh, few, few times a year. Well, quite more than that, actually. And they wanted to work with me on this Ukraine concert. They're one of my clients. I do their website, but I donate some of my time and sometimes I'll get paid a little bit, but they have a very reduced rate. And usually I just don't want to charge them at all. So they are an amazing group of people and they have the mechanics set up for running a Zoom concert. And I worked with them and I found Ukrainian performers, top level, world-class performers agreed to come on this concert and play for free to benefit Ukraine. And it was just a beautiful show. They found a Ukrainian poet. She escaped to Lithuania and she spoke to us from there. I contacted one of my YouTube language instructors. All I spoke till I was three was Ukrainian and I lost some of it. So I've been brushing up. I'm still, my Ukraine's pretty good, but I contacted one of my teachers from YouTube. She's in Ukraine and she made a video for us telling us about her situation. Her, she's in Kherson, which is occupied and they are not receiving humanitarian aid. And I feel so helpless. I don't know how we can get aid to them. We can get them money, but there's nothing for them to buy. And they are helping each other out, but their city is completely occupied. That's incredible. And, and tell us again where people can find the concert on YouTube. What do they have to search for? Look for Musicians for the Greater Good, that channel, and you'll see the concert for Ukraine there. Andrea Kulish, thank you so much for being on the Artsville podcast. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you, Louise. Thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. And it's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Artsville podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share it with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Artsville is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles in partnership with Sand Hill Artist Collective in Asheville, North Carolina. Our theme music was created by Dan Ubik and his team at Danube Productions. Artsville is edited by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Artsville. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating American contemporary arts and crafts from Asheville and beyond. Artsville. Artsville, the happening town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, from Asheville town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, feeling mountain high and inspired in North Carolina. That's where you'll find us, amazing artists and designers. Oh yeah, Artsville. Yeah.